If we were to assign a topic to the text that we're covering today, which is Luke 11, 37 through 53, I would give it a broad topic of hypocrisy. This passage is about hypocrisy. The title of the message is Don't Be Like Them. The examples of hypocrites in the Bible are the scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the religious leaders, the priests, the chief priest, the high priest. These guys were all hypocrites. Don't be like them. In fact, Jesus was very tolerant of sinners. The woman caught in the act of adultery, Levi, Matthew, he had all kinds of sin in his life because he was a tax collector working for the Romans and he was ostracized and Jesus walked up to his tax table and said, follow me. And Levi left all of that behind and got up and followed Jesus. And the Bible tells us that that night he had a party at his house for Jesus and that some of the religious leaders saw him and said, what, what, is, your, what is your master doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus sat down and had a meal with them. He was very compassionate towards those who knew they were sinners. But he wasn't compassionate towards those who didn't think they were. Those who thought they were better than other people. Those who were self-important. Those who were spiritual in their own eyes. The Chuck Smith, who founded Calvary Chapel in the late 60s, went to be with the Lord in 2013, I, I listened all the way through the Bible in my teenage years with him. There was one particular thing that he would do periodically, and it was always very convicting to me. I met the Lord fairly young. I was almost 14 years old when I met the Lord. And um, he would say, covering passages like this, there's something inside of every one of us that we want people to think that we are more spiritual than we really are. There's just something we have to battle. And he would talk about not getting spiritually proud, not looking down at people who were struggling with the same things you struggled with or the same things you're struggling with. Maybe you've advanced to where you're not doing it, but you're still struggling in your mind. Maybe you've advanced to where you're not doing it, but it wasn't anything to do with you. It was to do with the transformation of the power of God inside of you who can still change that other person. Jesus talked about this a lot. He said, the mercy you give is the mercy you're going to receive. So if you're judgmental, self-important, you have spiritual pride, and you're looking down at people who have certain struggles, problems, sins in their lives, then God's like, okay, you're going to be merciless, then you'll receive no mercy. That verse has always scared me. Because I quoted earlier, all we like sheep have gone astray. The equivalent to that in the New Testament is the wages of sin are death and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Robert Furrow needs mercy. So Robert Furrow better be merciful. Jesus said in the manner you judge is the manner you're going to be judged. The way I'm judging people, here's what happens. If I judge people and I go, look at that person doing that. I can't believe they do that. And God goes, oh, you know that. You're a judge. Therefore, I'm going to judge you as a judge. And a judge would have a higher standard. And if you put yourself in the position of a judge, then Jesus is like, okay, let's go ahead and judge you according to your standard. Therefore, I don't want to set as a judge over anyone's life because God knows the heart. I don't. 
the Bible says, you are judged by the words you say. And I've been scared by that verse while I'm saying something. I'm talking to my wife and I'm talking about somebody. And all of a sudden, God will remind me of that. And it'll be like, and try to change it mid-sentence. And of course, I know they're struggling and need God's mercy because I don't want to be judged because I'm judgmental in the things that I say. Jesus said, judge yourself and you will not need to be judged. I have a take on that a little bit. And that is, be harder on yourself than you are on other people. Be more merciful to other people than you are on yourself. And you'll always be in good shape. Now, I know that that can get out of balance. I know people can be too down on themselves, right? I know people can always be like, I'm such a horrible, awful, rotten person. I, I know that could get out of hand, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying you honestly judge yourself and be harder on yourself than you are with other people. And I don't think that you can go wrong. The word hypocrite, literally in the Greek, and most of you know this, is the word actor. And so Jesus used this word, you hypocrites, you actors. It's a Greek word that is not used in the same way that hypocrisy is used in the English language. It's the word actor. So Jesus said to them in Greek, you scribes, you Pharisees, you actors. That's what he said to them. You're, you're, you actors. You are pretending. If they were in the 70s and were surfers or skateboarders, he would say, you scribes, you Pharisees, you posers. It's the idea. You have the, you have the skateboard. You got all the, the stuff you're wearing, but you can't get on that thing. You can't, you know, you can't do anything. That's his point. They are, they are actors. They are pretending. And what God never wants us as Christians to do is to pretend. To pretend that we're something that we're not. And here's the scary thing, if I can just get real, real about evangelicalism today. Jesus is going to come down really hard on the, the, the actors, the hypocrites of his day, who were religious people. And today I find that religious people can do the same exact thing. I find that within evangelicalism are people who are very proud of themselves, are people who are self-important, are people who look down on other people, are people that add rules to Christianity, add rules to what Jesus said to do, and then look down on people when they don't keep their rules. So it's good for us to evaluate ourselves and to say to God, I don't ever want to be a hypocrite. Before we get into our text, I want to give you the five don'ts of hypocrisy. These are five things that you don't do. Number one, don't say you love God when you hate people. It's, it's acting to the core. It's hypocrisy to the core. Listen to what 1 John 4, 20 through 21 says. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Anyone that says, I love God, oh, I love God. Just hate them. I can't stand them. Hate them. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. It's a commandment that comes from Jesus. And Jesus said, it's easy to love people that love you back, right? Jesus said that. He said, but if you love people who are unlovable, you're doing something that not even the hypocrites do. 
when we love someone who thinks differently than we do, acts differently than we do, has different standards than we do. That's when we show our real Christianity, not when we love someone who's 100% like us. Well, you're just like me. I love you. But someone who's, who's radically different than us. The second don't is don't say, excuse me, the second don't is don't try to help when you have the disease plank eye. You understand what I'm saying, right? So Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 5, hypocrite, first remove the plank out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. He said, you're trying to, you're, you're critical of other people. You're like, you got this problem in your life, you got this speck in your eye, but you got a big plank sticking out of your own eye. First of all, that would be scary. Let me get that out of your eye. Watch out. Secondly, once you remove the plank from your own eye, you are going to be more humble because you realize your weaknesses and you realize your own sin. You've identified it. And so you can do a much better job at approaching someone who is in sin. So the Bible says in Galatians, if anyone is in sin, those of you who are spiritual, mature, right? Full grown, spiritual. Go to such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That's how we're, we're not to approach people. You sinner, what are you doing? You sponge sinner. We're supposed to be gentle. And we're supposed to consider ourselves knowing, hey, look, I struggled with the same thing. Now you say, well, I don't struggle exactly with what they struggled with. There may be someone who cusses. And you know, there are, there are cuss words that are more acceptable than others. That changes with the culture. So you may hear somebody use a cuss word. I'm not going to give you an example, but you may hear somebody who <laughs> uses a cuss word that is one of the more acceptable cuss words, but you don't generally find it in Christian circles. Outside of Christian circles, it's accepted and said regularly. Inside, I'm not talking about the real bad ones, okay? But you hear somebody, a Christian, say it. You're like, oh, I can't believe they said that. But you don't use your mouth to, to, to use those cuss words. You're too spiritual for that. But you use your mouth to slander and to gossip, maliciously gossip. That's hypocrisy. Not because you're judging someone who cusses because you cuss, but because out of your own words, you're doing something that is sinful. Another example of it would be, you may judge someone, may come down on them for homosexuality, but you yourself might be involved in fornication. And you think you're superior when instead God will judge you and your judgment will be harsh because of your judgment. So there are connections that are not always exact connections. Like, well, they did that and I did this, or I can judge them because I don't do that. Get the plank out of your own eye. You're going to be able to see clearly and you're going to gently, lovingly correct someone who needs that. The third don't of hypocrisy is don't judge um, outward. Don't judge the outward appearance. I put outward worship in my notes, but don't, that was just my example. Don't judge by outward appearances. And, and, and worship is a good example of that. Sometimes we'll see somebody and they're worshiping. They're really getting into it. We think, man, that person's really loving Jesus and worshiping him. And then a couple rows back is somebody there just staring. And we think, psh, psh. <laughs> why wouldn't they worship? Why wouldn't they come to church and worship? The problem is, is that the person that's going for it might be thinking in their head, people are checking me out. They're thinking how spiritual I am. They see how much I love Jesus. This is awesome. 
and they're not really worshiping at all. When the other person might be broken on the inside and may really be interacting with God. He may really be, we, we can't judge because we don't know what's inside of people. And so Matthew 7, 15, excuse me, Matthew 15, 7 through 9 says, hypocrites, did Isaiah prophesy or well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, my people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me with their mouths, but they dishonor me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. And in vain you worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now we're going to return to that, teaching as doctrines the commands of men, because there's some hypocrisy connected to that as well. When you take your own commands, the things you've come up with, and you make them equal to the commandments of God. But here, just God sees the heart, we see the outward, and so we judge wrong. The fourth don't is uh, don't do religious things to be seen by men. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and when you pray, you also, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, you will have your reward. But you, when you pray, go into a room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. This is the danger for anyone that's in a, in a visible position in leadership. For pastors, for worship leaders, for musicians that have become famous, that are ministering, it's a danger that they start doing things to be seen. And you want to make sure. I mean, there are some people that you get them in a prayer meeting, they'll pray really fervently. They'll pray for a long time and they'll see God. And, and you wonder, do, are, do they pray like that in their prayer room? Are you doing that in, in private? I've talked about it before and I get some weird looks from people sometimes. But when someone makes a touchdown, and there are certain people I think of that do this, and you will too, and they run into the field and they, in the end zone and they kneel down and they pray. And you think, I, th I always think, mm, Jesus said, don't do that. He said, don't pray to be seen by men, but go into your prayer closet. And, you, and I, love, I love the stance for faith, okay? Don't get me wrong. I love the stance for faith. I love when, when uh, an athlete will say, I just want to thank Jesus, especially Jesus. When that, well, I go all the way to Jesus. I just want to thank Jesus. I, I love that. That's, that's great. To make a stand for who you are, that's awesome. But I don't know that it needs to be through religious actions, like praying, because Jesus said, don't do it. And so maybe that's a little pet peeve of mine. Maybe it's a personal thing with me, but I don't think so. The, uh, the fifth and final thing on the don'ts of hypocrisy is that we don't know what we don't know. When someone sins and, we, and their sin becomes evident, it's exposed, we don't know what's going on in their heart. We might hear of their sin. They may be a well-known pastor. They may have been caught in some sin, but we don't know if they're broken inside. We don't know if they're calling out to God. That might become evident in time. They might justify what they're doing. There, there might be things that they say that help us to know, well, they aren't handling this right. But we don't know what we don't know. And you don't know what you don't know about yourself. And here's the problem. Because the Bible says the man, that man's heart is deceitful. It not only says that man's heart is deceitful, but it's deceitfully wicked. And so I generally think better of myself than I do someone else doing the same thing. Because I justify it for myself. I don't know 
all the things in my life that need to change. And I don't know everything that's going on inside of them. So I don't know what I don't know. So the Bible says this in Luke 16, 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So I might live my, way, my life in such a way that it is highly esteemed among men, but it could very well be an abomination to God. And so what I've got to find out is what God wants from me. And this really highlights why I'm such a bad judge. I'm not a good judge because I have problems I don't even know. Some of you guys are like, man, I'm glad he finally sees it. <laughs> right? But it's true. That's why we're all bad judges. We think we know, but we don't. We don't know what we don't know. All right, so those are the five don'ts of hypocrisy. Let's get into our text. So Jesus is going to confront the religious leaders here in this passage. It's different than in Matthew. In Matthew, he does it in the temple. And in, in, he says, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, over and over and over again, and gives them that list of ways in which they are scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. In this section, we have a, a list of three woes He'll say, woe to you, three times. But before that, we find what happens. Look at verse 37. And as he spoke, uh, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed his hands before dinner. So Jesus doesn't wash his hands before he eats. And I want to say to all of you kids that are here, the next time your parents tell you, Wash your hands. You tell them, memorize this, Luke eleven thirty seven. Jesus didn't wash his hands, Mom. How much am I a troublemaker, parents, huh? You're like, I'm going to bring my kid to church. He's going to learn some good things. Luke eleven thirty seven. All right, kids? Luke eleven thirty seven. Of course, this wasn't for, for having clean hands when you eat, which, kids, you should, okay? I, I probably shouldn't have to say that, but I will, okay? You should have clean hands when you eat. But this was ceremony. And this wasn't in the law. The law never said, make sure to wash your hands this way before you eat. You need to cleanse your hands spiritually before you eat. This was made up by the religious leaders. It's something they added that every one of them did. It's something that they did before every single meal. And they would do it by, first of all, washing their hands with their elbows down so that the water would run off their elbows. Then they would wash it with their fingertips down so the water would run off their fingertips and they would do it in a ceremonial way, and then they believed that their hands were clean spiritually to be able to eat, or they themselves were clean spiritually as they sat down to eat. So all the Pharisees would be doing this, but Jesus just walked by them on purpose. I'll guarantee you it's on purpose. This is something they did, and he sits down, doesn't wash his hands. Now he's ready. He's probably watched them do a few things like this. Now at this point, let's consider, are there things we add to Christianity? We're told in the Great Commission, teaching them to obey all the things I command you. So we have a responsibility of teaching the things Jesus commanded and following them. But is it possible that I could come up with other things that make you more spiritual, things that you should do if you're spiritual? I, I think in the old days, in the 60s, it's funny because I'm looking around here now just to see if there's anybody with a tie on. I, is there anybody here with a tie that I'm missing? You, I'm not raising my hand. You're like, I'm not raising my hand for you to look, point me out. All right, in the 60s, you didn't go to church unless you wore a tie in America. It was called high church. 
uh, low, low church, yeah, you do what you want to do. But high church, you better get your Sunday best on. And you were judged if you walked in in a T-shirt. Now, the crazy thing is, for all you people that are in T-shirts, now, the crazy thing is, you go beyond that in the past, and there was a time when wearing buttons was considered to be carnal. They had little eyelets that they would attach their clothes with. And if you wore buttons, they were considered to be fancy. So now all you people in T-shirts are more spiritual than people with buttons. <laughs> we add things that are according to culture, that are according to our own desires. And, and I think evangelical does this a lot. Evangelicalism does this a lot. And this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus wanted to straighten them out on it. So he says, then the, then the Lord said to them, now you Pharisees, and this seems to be unprovoked. The guy just marvels. He didn't wash his hands. And Jesus says to him, now you Pharisees, make the outside of the cup and, and dish clean. But in the inward part is full of greed and wickedness, foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Now, this is pretty heavy. They put on robes to look spiritual. They wore boxes that had scriptures inside of them because the Old Testament said, wear, uh, put the scriptures on your mind and on your hands, which I think really meant take the scriptures and do them with your hands and think them with your mind. But they made boxes with scriptures on their head and they had large ones and they thought the bigger the box was. It was like in the 70s when we carried our Bible everywhere we went and the bigger your Bible was, the more spiritual you were. Those of you guys from the 70s will remember that. Bring in a Bible big enough to choke a mule and I love the Lord. Look at my Bible. It's huge. So that's the way they did it. So they made the outside clean and they looked good and they looked spiritual. They had big robe, uh, sleeves. Jesus talks about another point. You have giant sleeves on your robes. Put your hands and look all spiritual. But look at what he said was on the inside of them. Verse 39, greed and wickedness. There's wickedness inside of them. They looked spiritual and great on the outside. But inside there was greed and, and wickedness. And he says, foolish ones, didn't God make the outside and the inside? Then he says this, and this is a hard verse to understand, but we need to, I'll just, let's look at it. He says, but rather, this is not Jesus telling you this is true. He's saying, you think this, but rather, this is their own man-made rule for their own righteousness, okay? But rather, give alms as such things as you have, and indeed all things are clean to you. That was a justification they made. Look, all I've got to do is give alms, which is, is offerings, is give offerings of what I've got, and then everything in my life is clean. The one thing I need to do. So Jesus says, the one thing you need to do is love. He says, if you walk in love, then you're going to fulfill all the law. That's the one thing for us. That's not a justification. That's the reality. They thought if they tithed. Now, that same idea is around today. There are people that think that if they give money to the church, that all is going to be forgiven. I've had people outside of church give me a check and tell me, will you go ahead and put that in the offering box and give a little prayer for me to the man upstairs? They think somehow by giving Calvary Tucson money that God's going to go, oh man, you get, I'm okay, you're, you're good. You gave money to the church, you're good. That's the same thing they thought. And so Jesus is talking about their rule. He's not telling them to give. That would be contrary to everything Jesus teaches. Just give of what you've got and all things are clean. He's using sarcasm here. And I think we miss it. We miss that Jesus could be using sarcasm. But rather, give alms of such things as you have and, and, the, and indeed you are clean. 
So then he breaks into these four woe, these three woes against the Pharisees. Woe, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue. And I looked up rue and I'm not quite sure what it is, but, but other translations say dill. So I assume it's dill. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and, and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. He now gives them this example of their sarcasm and how bad it is with, with, by his sarcasm on how bad it is because they will tithe their herbs. They tithe their spices. They're so into tithing and giving gifts and their alms that they take their, their cumin and their mint and their rue and they set it aside and give God 10%. Now, I love that Jesus doesn't come down on them for that because anything that you decide to give to God as an offering of worship is received by God if you do it with the right heart. So I love that Jesus doesn't get, but he says you forgot justice and love. That's how wicked you are inside. On the outside, you're tithing and everybody's going, ooh, look at this, he even tithes his, his, his cumin. But inside, you, are, you, you are, don't have justice. And these guys, Pharisees, ruled within the synagogues and ruled for and against people. And they weren't doing it justly. Like a crooked judge, there were crooked Pharisees. And Jesus says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he says, yeah, go ahead and, and tithe your mint and your cumin. And, and here he's talking about, you know, he says tithing, you tithe your mint and your rue. So some people say that this is the spot where Jesus brings tithing from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I'll often say that the the concept of tithing is never re-given in the New Testament. Instead, we're supposed to give as we purpose in our hearts. And they'll say, well, what about here? Well, a couple of things. I think you're stretching to try to use this. A couple of things. First of all, these guys are in the Old Testament times. They're living under the law. They're Pharisees, okay? They're living under the law. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So if this was after Jesus died on the cross, you might have a point. Secondly, his real point is you don't have justice and love. Not that they're doing something good by tithing. He's simply telling them, you should have done both. And then in verse 43, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees. This is the second woe. For you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. They love for people to see them. You know, rabbi, teacher, Pharisee. The third woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like graves which are not seen and men who walk over them and are not aware. You're dead inside. This is the same insult when he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're clean on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. They looked spiritual, but they weren't. There's the danger of hypocrisy for us today, that we walk around looking spiritual, that we act spiritual, but we're not. The first is to be spiritual, and then the second is to not act overly spiritual. But by all means, make sure the, the, the inside is clean. And once we do, we begin to act the right way that we should act. Now, in verses 45 and 46, Jesus now turns to the lawyers. There's Pharisees there and there's lawyers. The Pharisees were a certain kind of religious leaders. The lawyers were people that made rules by the law. Now, we're talking about the Bible, the Old Testament. They read Deuteronomy, Numbers, Exodus, Leviticus, and they made rules for Israel to live by. That's these lawyers. So don't think of them like lawyers today. Okay, but their job was to describe how people are supposed to live according to the Bible. They interpreted what the Bible said, made rules by it. 
And so Jesus says to them in verse 45, Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things you are reproaching us also. And he probably just should have kept quiet at that point. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers. Jesus just fired up now. <laughs> Woe to you also, lawyers. For you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you, um, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens without one of your fingers. So he's saying, you make rules. You make it hard to be a Christian. Sometimes people will say to me, it's so hard to be a Christian. In fact, I had a guy in my office years ago, it was a counseling appointment, and he starts telling me, ah, oh, so hard to be a Christian. It's so hard to be a Christian. It's just so hard to be a Christian. He actually got up from the chair and laid down on the couch. So hard to be a Christian. So hard. So hard to be a Christian. And I, and I finally said, you're not doing it right. Because <laughs> Jesus said, my burden is easy. But, but I'm afraid that we put burdens on people that God never intended them to be there. And because God didn't intend them to be there, we're making it heavy for them. We got to be careful that we teach the commands of God, which we've been commanded to in the Great Commission, but not add our own little thing to it. I, I think of back in the 70s. I don't know that it's that much today. It might be in certain Christian circles. But I think back in the 70s, if you, if you listen to secular music, man, you were, you were carnal, backslidden individual. If you'd get into somebody's car and you'd turn it on, remember Top 40 was big back then? If you'd turn on, they'd turn on their car and Top 40 music came on, you'd be like, oh, I can't believe you're listening to Elton John. Now, here's the crazy thing about it. And I fell into that too. It was like people, they say something like, I don't listen to secular music. I don't listen to it. Here's the crazy thing. We'd go home and watch secular TV. What's the difference? It's the same values, except that we had secular, we had Christian music that was more available and Christian TV was really bad, right? TBN, the 70s, you know, these preachers looking at the camera, if you don't give us money crying, if you don't give us money, I'm not going to, makeup running. And that was the guys, <laughs> Right? You guys remember that. So we, we, we make rules like that. We make rules that you're spiritual if you do this, you're spiritual if you don't do that. And Jesus said, woe unto you guys. You're making burdens. You don't with yourself, not help them one little bit. He then also says to them, goes on to the, the lawyers, woe unto you, for you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approved the deeds of your fathers. In other words, they were, they loved religious uh, prophets that were dead, but they were just like their fathers and they would kill the ones that would be with them. And they're going to do that by killing Jesus. They approved. They build the tombs of the prophets. Oh, we love the prophets, but it's their very fathers who killed them and they approve to it. He says, in verse 48, in fact, you bear witness that you approve of the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God has also said, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them will be killed and persecuted. He's talking about prophecy now. The wisdom of God is I'm going to send you apostles and I'm going to send you prophets and you're going to kill them. That the blood of all the prophets, which was shed. Sorry, my notes are freaking out. 
that the, um, that the blood of the prophets which has been shed from the foundations of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. He's laying it at the feet of that generation because they killed the Messiah. Greater than, than Moses is there, greater than Jonah, and they kill him. Now, what does it mean here from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah? A couple interesting things about this. Number one, we need to add this verse in when we're talking about Abel and his sacrifice in, when we're teaching in Genesis because Abel is a prophet. Jesus said that from the prophet's blood, from Abel, that tells us something a little bit more about Abel. God had a prophet right out of the chute, right? Cain and then Abel was born and then there's Abel who's a prophet. It also has this kind of inverse thing. The younger serves the older, which we find throughout all of scripture. The, the greater serves the less greater. And then Zechariah, well, Zechariah was a prophet who stood up in front of, I think it was King Jedekiah, and, 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 and gave him a dressing down. And then he had him commanded to be killed. This was in the temple. And he was stoned and killed between the altar and the temple. And the reason he goes between these two, because there are people that die after Zechariah, and this is what confuses people, is because in the Hebrew Bible, it's broken up in sections. And before the history section start, we're talking about Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther. That's the, the history section of the Old Testament. You've got Second Chron First Kings, First Second Chronicles. Zechariah's story is at the end of Chronicles. And that's the end of what would be called the Hebrew Bible. So he went from the beginning of the Hebrew Bible to the end of it. That's why he went to Zechariah. And he says, all of their blood shall be laid at this generation. Then he comes to what is their most terrible crime, the worst thing that they did, the worst thing they could do, the worst thing any of us could do. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge and you have entered in, you do not enter in yourself and those who were entering you hindered. They stopped people from going to heaven by adding their rules, by making things their own way. They themselves didn't go in because they came up with new ways to be spiritual and they stopped people from going in. This happens when we make new rules for what it means to be a Christian. It happens when we have new rules for what it means to be spiritual. It happens when we have that spiritual pride where we set things up and say, I'm really spiritual. I really love Jesus. And if you really love Jesus, you better do what I do. And so you think it's okay if you're like this when you have never really received Christ, been born again, been transformed, and had God do that transformative work in your life. Hypocrisy blocks people from entering into heaven, and it may be one of the reasons Jesus kept his harshest words for, for hypocrites, and one of the reasons that we want to be as far away from it as we can. My final thoughts are this. Hypocrisy is a plague in religion. And although we might say, I'm not religious, I'm, I have a relationship with Christ. We really are religious. We're getting fancy. We go to church over and over again. We read our Bible over and over again. We pray over and over again. All right. And I understand a relationship with Christ is what saves you not being religious. I'm just saying when we, we are religious, pure and undefiled religion, James said, in the sight of God is taking care of widows and orphans. So we are. And a plague on religion is hypocrisy. And it's, there's a danger for all of us. We should all search our hearts and see, is there possibly hypocrisy in our lives? There's two ways you can battle hypocrisy. Number one, you can, if you're being a hypocrite because you're looking down on someone for the same thing that you do. You think that because you do these certain spiritual things, the fact that you do this is okay, but they're doing it and it's not okay. So you could remove the plank out of your eye. That's the first way you could do it. Then you could see clearly and then you would with gentleness 
be able to correct someone that's doing something that's hurting them. The second thing that you could do is just to stop thinking so highly of yourself. It's just to realize that we're all in this together and we're all the same. This is the humility that God speaks about, that God honors. Where, where, where you say, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm just going to stop judging people. I'm going to judge myself instead. I'm going to be harder on myself than I am on other people so that I don't have this hypocrisy in my life and walk around like I'm superior. I'm better than you are. You don't know how spiritual I am. Just, did you love it when preachers say this? Just stop. <laughs> just stop. And walk humbly before your God and be merciful to people. And you'll be honored by God instead of judged by Him. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for all that you tell us about this hypocrisy, and it really is a plague within even the Christian church in America. So many people who think that they're better than other people, who think that they're closer than you, that they've got the real truth and other people don't. And it's spiritual pride, and it's ugly, and you have just as harsh words today or just as harsh thoughts and actions against those who are hypocritical and pharisaical as you did in those days. So, Lord, we pray that we would turn from it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.